This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This month, Downfall of Gaia will release their new album, Ethic of Radical Finitude, via Metal Blade Records. Ethic of Radical Finitude is the quartet's most melodic, structured and dynamic release to date, and once more builds upon the epic and unique, sludgy, crusty, exploratory, metallic sound that has organically evolved with every release. Purchase your copy now. Metalblade.com slash Downfall of Gaia. Once again, Metalblade.com slash Downfall of Gaia. I want to remind you guys that this show is sponsored by Rockabilia. Need to stock up on some of your favorite band's merch? Go to Rockabilia.com and put some on your wish list. They're the one-stop shop for all your band merch needs. Need to buy a gift for someone and know what bands they're into? Pick up something from Rockabilia. You won't be disappointed with the selection, and you can get 10% off with the code PCJabberJaw. So head on over to Rockabilia.com and use the promo code PCJabberJaw and save 10% today. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. What's going on, everybody? It is I, your host, Petter Speich. I am always joined by... They call me Brandon Gooch Hahn. And my Twitter and Instagram are at your buddy Gooch. And Jocelyn Sharp. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jocelyn Sharp. And this week, guys, big interview. Every interview with Periphery is a big interview to me. So we're talking to Matt about their new record, guys. Periphery 4, Hail Stan. It's out April 5th. Make sure you guys are pre-ordering it. We will get to that interview in a little bit. But before then, we're going to touch a little bit on the Metal Sucks news. First story I've been wanting to discuss for a while. Because... There keeps to be headlines keep popping up, but we let it go for a while. And that is Michael Anthony's reunion with Van Halen. There is nothing confirmed, according to Sammy Hagar, but there keeps being talks about this. Now, there keeps being talks about there this? There keeps being some talks about this. <laughs> do you need here. to throw the ring in Mordor? Is that what you need to do? <laughs> the shit that he makes us go back and redo, yeah. and the shit that he tries hey. to get away with. Yeah. The, the talks have been happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They happen at talks. Going. Things happen. Things go happening. Talk with this Sound stuff. out of mouth. People so, understand. So anyways, the point is, is that why would there, at this stage, Van Halen, they toured their reunion tour for a long time, put out a fantastic reunion record, according to I, which I loved, A Different Kind of Truth. But the one thing that kind of dampered the whole thing was Michael Anthony not being on that tour. So... If Michael Anthony rejoined Van Halen, do you think that that would make the tour excessively bigger than the no, last one? No. I, I, personally, I mean, going to see Van Halen now, David Candy, it's, you're, you're, you're seeing David Lee Roth. Yeah, he's, he's one of dancing. the greatest. He's dancing. He's doing roundhouses. <laughs> he's dancing and doing roundhouses. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's why I buy tickets is because when I see the marquee, I, I shrug and I go, he's dancing. Exactly. Can you, uh, look, I'm not going to go unless I see a 60-year-old guy do a jump-spinning roundhouse. Go. All I've ever wanted is someone who should be retired to do the splits in front of my face. The arena really sings Panama on, on key. That's what I'm saying, you know, so. man. I mean, it, it, I'm sorry. Like, you're only going to see something like that for the nostalgia. But don't you realize Michael Anthony was the backing vocals? And that might have been what's, what was missing in the last time? Yeah, you, Michael Anthony's little... Ah. 
It's, okay, it's very, first of all, whoa, when whoa, have you whoa. ever gone first to off, a concert and been like, you know what? This concert was great, but the backup vocals. The backup vocals. <laughs> Holy shit, man. You did an Van Halen yeah. concert. Yeah, Pete, give us the backing vocals again. That was so angelic, by the way. It was, it was really beautiful. Can we get one more, please? Just a sample. Come on, the, the children want it. <laughs> oh wow, it's beautiful. Wow. You're beautiful. killing it, bro. You I are like killing that it, it. I like that in Pete's head it's not like a different level on the microphone. It's just him pulling away from the mic and yeah. singing like a tiny mouse. <laughs> Yeah. That's so important, though. It no, is. it's not. That's so important. Pulling it's the really mic away? Not. Oh, I don't know. I've, I've been to karaoke, and when they hit that note, every time they hit the note, they don't put the mic in their mouth. They pull it away well, from their mouth. Well, who puts the mic in their mouth? What kind of fucking animal? Women that want a boyfriend. <laughs> First of all. <laughs> <laughs> women that are search, single not women that a, are searching for dudes. Not They're at a karaoke it. bar. That hey. means you're searching for hep C. Hey, well. hey, you, guys, you guys have gone way off topic. My ADHD co-hosts, okay? So you were not excited about seeing Van Halen reunion. Obviously not, because oh, our, brain, our brains wanted to think about anything else. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't need to see Michael Anthony do the bass for, uh, you know, running with the devil. Yeah, Probably, what am I? You know, like, the dump, bump, bump, I do bump, need to see that. Bump. I don't even have appropriate attire. I, I don't own one scrunchie. What am I going to wear to the concert? Yeah, exactly. Jocelyn has no cocaine underneath her nose. I don't know where I'm going to find Aquanet, you know? You guys, you guys are, Van Halen is not Aquanet and scrunchies. I'm yeah, just going to no, say, it maybe it is, but maybe oh. it was. It's one of the most important rock bands uh, of all time. See, that's the thing. is Listening to you talk is making me feel tardy. <laughs> How dare you? You were just shitting all over Jocelyn and I because we don't want to see uh, broken-ass <laughs> David Lee Roth get up there. Because uh, I don't want to see a pair of dead testicles and exactly, some leopard yeah. spandex. Exactly. I don't want to see him just force his way through, uh, you know. California, actually not was it? That was his solo, but you get what I mean. Yeah, I get what. You All mean. I'm saying is, watching David Lee Roth now is nothing like living on Paradise. I'm going to tell you, it's no. the exact opposite of living on Paradise. No. <clears throat> Moving on. <laughs> God, the defeated Pete. He's so upset. Oh wow, my feelings are hurt. Defeated Pete. Right, uh, no, you. we're moving on. We're moving on. Okay. okay. Next story. Woman accuses the wrong Macedon of scamming her son. <laughs> the head, I'm just reading the headline, guys. Vince put, you damn mother foochers. <laughs> she put that in the... Oh, okay. Well, look. It's... She put that in the comments. Now, let me, let me break the story down. Oh, whoa, okay. Whoa, whoa, settle down. Whoa. Settle down. Oh. Okay. I brought my pencil. So a lady <laughs> yelled at what she thought was the social networking platform, Mastodon, of the same name. And she yelled at the band because she felt that it was a mistreatment of her son, and she claimed the band scammed and sent her son on a wild gooch chase after offering him a job. Well, guess what, guys? Mastodon, at the time, was on tour in Europe and wasn't hiring anybody because they really don't need anybody right now. <laughs> so, right. And how old's her son? Well, I, we don't have all those details. I need to know this. We don't know what the, this company does. We don't know what he got hired for. We don't know any of these details. But I do need to know how old the kid is. So, Bill. Is he of age? Is he like 16, 17? Because that depends whether I call him stupid or not. <laughs> I, is he an eight-year-old? Then I get it. I just I, I want to know what age would be. I'm going to say I said I don't know. And okay, we'll move forward. All right, because we can this. like if I don't know, I can't just. I understand it. Up for that. You. Okay, so you're going to have to somehow deal with not oh, knowing the age. God, this speculation is killing me. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so this is what she wrote, and the the best part of it is uh, Bill Kelleher from Mastodon is who's responding to her. Why? 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 Fuck! 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 You are nothing but dirty. That's it. Wow. Then, 
Fuck you, you dirty cumbags. You should be ashamed of yourself. Okay, that's a mom? <laughs> Apparently, yes. Fuck you, you dirty cumbags. You okay, should be ashamed cum- of yourself. I've never heard of a cumbag. <laughs> cum sock, cum towel. A cum, maybe a cum duffel, yeah, but never a cum guys, bag. Guys, guys, she probably misspelled scumbags. Okay. I, but I got to no. tell you something right now. Cumbags. Cumbags. Okay, thank you. Okay, it's, thank it's, you for thank you for at least providing something that makes sense because that's probably what happened. But let's let's speculate on cum boxes. There's uh, <laughs> so moving forward. You know, this is her continuing on. This is right before Bill's response. You know, social media can be such a helpful way to ruin someone's fame. You damn mother foochers. Oh man, she again, sound, misspelled. Fuckers. She sounds like a real cum fanny pack. <laughs> So Bill, Bill responds. <laughs> Pete not buying at all. No. Wow, Carol, you work with children. What's up with the foul language? Why would you send us such a message? And then she comes back with, no, I don't work with children. I sent that message because you all scanned my son, and I don't take kindly to professionals who treat people badly. Bill's response, we scammed your son. How so? And that's your professional response? Are you an adult? Your spelling is horrendous, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, go, Bill. And, and then Carol ends, Carol ends her, her tirade with, you offered him a job and then sent him on a wild goose chase back in January 2019, and don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. So Bill responds with, Carol, quotations, you are speaking to the band. Can you please provide specifics, question mark? You gave him a job. Who gave him a job? Doing what? The band was in Europe in January. We aren't hiring anyways. So unless you provide some sort of proof, I call total bullshit. Now, that's handled professionally by Mastodon, mm-hmm. obviously. People, they were not comebacks about it. They were, they were not, not they, comebacks they were about totally, it. They were not comebaskets whatsoever. No. And have you guys ever gotten somebody that randomly yelled at you about something and was completely mistaken? Yes. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the best ever? It is. It is, especially you can, when you, you get can a fuck text with message. them, and then you re- yeah, the text messages are the best because it's immediate emotion. Yeah, so you can fuck with them right away, and they're going to keep going trying to one up you because it's immediate emotion. Emails, on the other hand, not as good. You feel very vindicated. Yes, yes, it's great. Yeah. It's the best when somebody calls you up and they're just like, "Man, fuck you, fuck your baby mama," and you're like, "Ooh," and then you call back like, "Who does me?" And they just go <laughs> off, <laughs> and they just call back and they're let loose. I love it. And you're like, like 25 minutes in. This is the wrong number. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> Please don't call again. I love it. Yeah. I do like that he put her name in quotation marks as if to say, is if that's your real name. Exactly. Yeah, we don't believe it's Carol. <laughs> exactly. So Carol. he might have taken the bait. He might have taken the bait. But uh, Carol and, and the comebags over at the actual Mastodon that she's talking about, it made me think of something because, you know, we were talking last week, guys, about... Uh, Was it about cum? Yeah. We were ta- well, <laughs> wow. We were, talking about, we were talking about semen. Okay. Well, actually, Jocelyn said it first. She I did. just nailed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to be a little right more. Right from the horse's balls. A little, a little more scientific about it. <laughs> we're talking about, talking about semen. Semen. And we were talking about a, uh, a pug, a semen sniffing pug, as a matter of fact, that we felt every criminal case needed to get solved. Well, guess what? We found one. Hey, can we get this crowd back? I'm trying to conduct a crime scene here. Any clue what happened? (sighs) Double homicide. Have you searched for clues? Yes, sir, and not a single drop of semen. That can't be right. Damn it! I said I'd never do this again after the last time. 
but he's the best. Al Doe! The semen smelling pug! Sarge, he's here! Has he found anything yet? I think he's on the trail. Is that what I think it is? Semen! Take this to the lab immediately! We'll find the sons of bitches who did this. That's a good boy! Who's a good boy? Yes. You're just gonna let him lick you on the mouth like that? You've got evidence on your lips, sir. Al Doe! The semen smelling pug! Hey, man. Aldo, the semen-smelling pug. We created that. It's going to happen. <laughs> I, don't think I think it just got greenlit on HBO. Someday when we're just dust in the wind and we're ashes, mm-hmm. and we're nothing but a tombstone and a memory. One of these days. That'll still be on the internet. Yeah, or, or this will be like a radio signal, and this will be like the first thing aliens hear when they're pulling into the Milky Way. They're Mars, like, Aldo? Mars like trains their dogs to sniff out semen because that's what they think Earth dogs are for. <laughs> They're like, Earth does it. <laughs> I think it's so funny, though. It's yeah. hilarious. I loved it. Well, look, I made it, so yes, it's fucking hilarious. But okay, my now thing I is, it. Now I vote it's been terrible. You know, me and him <laughs> argued about the name of, of the pug. I'm like, call it Aldo. He's like, no. We're not going to. I didn't want to call it Aldo. <laughs> it's a, that's a perfect name it's, for it's a, a semen smelly it's pug. It's personal. Okay. 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 It's personal. Yeah, like you're afraid of personally calling people out. Oh, you're probably right. Moving. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. And it's like, well, that's the thing. I will, I'll personally do it. No, I won't do it online. I always do it. I'll do it in person. <laughs> like, hey, I don't like you. Well, the next time you see him, call him a semen smelling pug to his face. All right. I'll <laughs> tell you this. It'd be a compliment. I'll tell you this. I, I've never felt like we kind of forced a bit into the show. But I kind of felt like that one was forced into the show. Even though I tried to segue from comebacks, I don't think it worked. It didn't, but... <laughs> I, th- I think that was just like, people you... were like, what the fuck <laughs> just happened? What just happened? Semen smelling pugs? Yes. Yeah. Semen smelling pugs. It's a thing. Go but... listen to the episode last week, guys. It'll make sense. But they, uh, they asked us for it, so they've yeah, been it... tweeting us. When, peop- when people ask for us to do bits, I just do them, even though the ideas are... Yeah. yeah. Oh, so in other words, hey guys, uh, we're your whore. So <laughs> tell us what bit you want to hear. Tell us what bit you wanted here. Obviously, I, I, if we're willing to do a uh, semen smelling pug, guys, bit, 30, police dog. It's thirty dollars for a just smelling dog bit. <laughs> it's fifty dollars for an anal bit. It's sixty dollars for a bit about incel terrorists. But let, me, <laughs> but let me go ahead and ask the guys at Metal Sucks. They'll do it for free. Sure thing, Buckaroo. It, it wasn't incel terrorists. It was incel divorce lawyers. Uh, yes. Anyway, okay. Yeah. Still. Duff McKagan. Duff oh. McKagan says Axl Rose has magnificent material for the new Guns N' Roses album. That means Axl Rose is writing the whole thing. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. I would imagine. All right, fine. It's kind of what he did for Chinese democracy, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So why wouldn't he do this? Well, I was hoping it was going to be more of a team effort. I think I think he's got... Well, he's always been the composer. I mean, he just kind of says... I mean, wouldn't you imagine? Yeah, he's I mean, like the Captain Jack Sparrow of that ship. Like, without him, there's nothing. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say nothing because, I mean, Slash and Duff are well, definitely of course. a good team. But of course. You're yeah. right. But I mean, but you're right, though. He is the Captain Jack Sparrow because when those guys left the band, right. he was still in the band. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. We, we're virtually arguing about who's the Captain Jack Sparrow of Guns N' Roses. It's, Disney is a universal comparison. Drink up me, Hardys, yo-ho. All right. Okay. Well, I have to just force this in there. And now, our interview with Matt from Periphery. Everybody, what's going on? It's Petter with the Metal Sucks Podcast. On the phone, I got Matt from Periphery. We are here to talk about their new album, Periphery 4, Hail Stan, which is out April 5th. Now, you guys are offering pre-order bundles at periphery.net, and one of the shirts that you can get has the following on the chest. Smoke beer and Hail Stan Periphery. What's your favorite beer to smoke, Matt? 
Uh, uh, weed. <laughs> Wait, is is that the joke that I missed? Be honest with me. No, actually, oh, to be honest, I. Uh, funny enough, I don't even smoke anymore. But I don't even. Misha came up with that. Um, he's he's actually. It's funny. As of late, Misha has been like an idea churner for merch uh, designs, and that was one of the ones he just came up with, you know, on a whim. So I actually can't speak to what's going on in his brain about that idea, but um, but I like it, and it's in the the like the design um, style is like those shirts you see everywhere, pretty much, where it's like do this and do this and do this, all like in big print on the t-shirt. So you know, I I hate to say it, but I think uh, I think you'd have to ask Misha what beer he prefers to smoke more than me, because you know, like as a as a metal dude. Like you'll walk around with the metal band T-shirt, and most of the most of the world won't understand you, so they'll ask you questions about it. That's like, oh, totally. That's a big question starter. I'm just gonna say Coors Light. Just so all right, fair you know. enough. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> my, my wife actually drinks Coors Light as her beer of choice, so yeah, I can I can relate to that. I could I we could we could do some Coors Light. There we go. Now I'm gonna bring up my. Uh, my uh, lovely wife as well, because uh, I told her the name of the record. She's a huge fan as well of the band. And she's like, well, they're talking about Stan Marsh. And I just looked at her with the hail Stan thing. And I'm like, no, they're talking about Stan Lee. So we didn't get into an argument about this. But um, assuming that the Stan you guys are hailing is Stan Lee because I want to win, who is the Stan? Uh, he's just Stan, dude. Oh, he's just Stan. I, I'm, I'm taking everything too literal. This is, but if it's you, just, you know, it's like, what does it mean to you? That's, I think that's, uh, that's the best way to do it. It's very interpretive. If Matt had to hail a Stan, who would it be? Stan Marsh or Stan Lee? Oh, so I'm, I'm limited to just those two. Oh, there's more stands that I might not know. Stanislav's that actor guy. I don't know. Like who's another Stan? No, no. Yeah. I'm not limited to Stan... anything. Okay. So if, if you're not limiting me to anything, the Stan that I personally would hail would be our merch guy, Stan Robel. It's not what he goes by, but that would be the the Stan that I hail to. Good. He's the man. He's he's the man. Dude, Stan Stan is the man. What can I say? I want an, I want my name to rhyme with something like cool like the man, you know? Like Peter the yeah, Cheater. My name, like I don't have anything good. Matt, you got Matt the fat. Hat. Like everybody just calls me <laughs> Fat Matt. Fat Matt. Yeah, we don't have Stan the Man to uh, to work it out. That's too bad, man. I'm going to think about it. Anybody, yeah. anybody can think of a really cool, like, uh, t- tough guy nicknames that rhyme with Matt or, or Peter. Throw it at us, man. We're fine with that. So, you guys, let's, let's go back to the record since I'm just taking everything literal because my mind okay. works that way. It's, it's totally fine. You guys did take a full year composing the new record, and it's, it's a very diverse listen. I love the record how important was taking your time on the record to you personally it was very important for me uh but i think it was equally as important to everybody in the band we had never really done that we've never done that in the history of our career for the most part every album recording and writing you know kind of time of the year has just it's either fit in between tours or it's been kind of jammed in around other things that we're doing, either individually or as a whole. And we just, we all kind of at the end of the, our last tour in 
2017 in at the like beginning of December of that year, we were just kind of ready to step back, take some time to breathe, take some time to like get excited about shows, you know, that would happen, you know, down the line that we're actually now going out in, a, in about a month or two here will be our first tour back since we took that time off. We just basically wanted to give ourselves a break. We wanted to say, all right, take some time off. Let's have no pressure. Let's not have anything that's pending. Let's write a record. We'll give ourselves a year, but if it takes longer, great. If it takes less time, awesome. But let's just take a year to do things for ourselves. Let's take a year to let the creative juices start flowing again. Let's take a year to just be able to write the record that we feel really proud of for ourselves. And that's just what we did. And it was a, it was a collective decision to do that. And I really think the results, I think we got the results we wanted because I can't speak for anybody else, but the five of us are very, very happy with the album that we wrote or the album that we recorded. So it was a success. It's something that I think we will probably do again in the future when it comes time to write the next record we'll probably take another big chunk of time off to not feel any pressure to give ourselves that creative space and um and do it our way so i i i think it was just something that we all needed to do if that answers your question i i always say there's a, a 10 year when a band's together for 10 years you can do that that push for only so long before it's like look there's a better way and I think you notice that with bands at that mark, that 10-year mark. A lot of them break up, and then a lot of them, because life catches up to them, a lot of them are like, no, we have to do this more on our terms for it to work. Do you feel that that might have played a little bit in your guys? Because you're, you're, you've been together about 10 years. I don't know. I, I don't know if, we, if we, we definitely didn't actively think of it like that. I think we've all just sort of come into our own you know, individually in terms of a lot of different things, you know, whether that's, um, you know, as a band, we kind of know what we want and know what we don't want now. And it's a very collective agreed upon, uh, kind of sentiment, uh, personally as individuals, we've all sort of, you know, found things that we love to do outside of the band. Um, uh, the majority of us are married now. We, you know, we, family is, is very important to us. So I think just in general, around the time that we decided to take the time off, a lot of things were coming together to where it all made sense, both professionally for the band, professionally for each of us individually, and then personally as well. So I, I really don't think that the timing played much into it on a, you know, on an active level. It was just more so we all kind of felt at the same time that like, all right, this is the right thing to do. Perfect, man. And you guys also, you're, you're releasing it on your own label, three dot recordings. Now, at what point as a band collective did you guys know you wanted to put out records on your own label? I think that's been something from the very, very beginning. I mean, we, we've, we've known we wanted to do that for a very long time. I think it just needed to be the right landscape. We needed the right experience. We needed the right platform. We needed to have a lot of traction under our belt. Um, and I, as much as we were, open to the idea of entertaining uh, offers and other deals from, from different labels and, um, and even considering, you know, re-upping with, with our previous label partners, we all for sure were, were 
substantially leaning towards starting our own label. Um, and it's just, like I said, it's been an idea of ours and a, and a goal of ours since 2009 and maybe even beforehand. We just never really had the means to do it and it was never really the right time. But a lot of things came together to, to make that happen. You know, we, again, we have a lot more experience as individuals in music and with our own, you know, personal businesses and things like that outside of the band, which I think has helped to prepare us for that. But uh, when we started working with our manager a few years back, I mean, that was a big conversation that we started having at that point. Um, our manager comes from a label background. Uh, our management company offers lab, lab, uh, me, label services. Um, so, you know, I don't want, uh, I don't want people to think that like the five of us are in the office every day and we are ourselves running the label. We run the label in tandem with our manager and his management team and everything is in house. And, um, we just needed the, the resources, the right people, and it had to be the right time to do it. Um, and now we're there. So we're very happy to finally be realizing this, this sort of vision that we've had for a while an idea we've had for a while. And I think the most exciting thing now is that we are putting out our own record on our own label. And there's so many exciting unknowns with that. We don't, you know, we've never done that before. So it's a really exciting release for us because we get to really see how the label side of things works relative to periphery as a band and as, you know, as far as putting out music, if that makes sense. Like before, if I, and I'm not sure, before when records came out, there was this push that you can ignore and be like, all right, it's their job to promote. It's their job to do this. It's their job to set up. But now it, with it all in-house, do you guys divvy up the work type of thing? Or is it just something that the management team kind of runs on that end? Really, the, the management team sort of oversees a lot of the big things. but uh, Or I should say more of the operations. Uh, but we're definitely very hands-on with strategy, with the decision-making, with you know, the prospect of signing other artists and other acts, the, the, you know, the, the collective decisions to also run our own side projects through the label. Um, any of the really big picture company based decisions, we're all very, very much involved in. I mean, it's our thing. And, you know, to that, to that end, even if our manager who was really running the operations came to us and said, Hey, you know, I found this band, we should sign it. If we don't like the band or if we don't like the project or if we don't like what he's bringing to the table, respectfully, we, we will absolutely say no. And then we have that say, so, you know, we are the owners. We definitely are involved in, in, in that side of it. Um, we just don't, you know, we're not running the operations to, to sum that up. One thing I did really like about the new record, man, the first track, I'm sure a lot of people are going to talk about it, Reptile. It's 17 minutes long. Now, sequence-wise, most records, when you talk about an epic song like that, it's not the opening track. It's usually put at, at, at the end or kind of in the middle. What made you guys feel it was a perfect opener for this record? I think we just wanted to do something a little bit different. I mean, previously, the longer songs that we've written have been either at the end of the record or towards the end of a record. Um, and... I don't think there was too much thought into it. It was just kind of like, Hey, we should put this one out. We should, we should put this at the, at the front of the record uh, because it's a good song and it's a, it's a good journey to take people on. You know, I, I don't think any of us really had much debate about it. And, and 
I'm glad you like that song because for me, I think that's, that's the hands down my favorite song on the record. I think it truly covers all of the bases of, of every different sound and style that you will experience when you listen to the record. So it's just a, it's a great precursor to all of the other songs. Um, and it's a nice chunk, it's a nice chunk of time. You know, we didn't really know how long the record was going to be. We had this idea in mind of like, all right, well, let's write a record with like, you know, maybe eight or nine songs and we'll keep it under an hour. Of course, we didn't, we didn't uh, do that. It's over an hour. But I think when that song was written, we were like, all right, cool. Well, you know, we, we, we now have like a quarter of the record finished. That's great. Now we can really relax and take our time writing the other songs. But I don't know. I, I, I think, I think it, was, uh, it was just a decision that we made because it's probably the collective favorite song. I really think. Oh, it's it's it to me. It's my favorite right now on the record for sure. And I also have this mindset as a fan. You guys are going on tour, doing uh, I think fifteen dates with Dance Gavin Dance here in a little bit. And usually, when a band got the new record out, they always open their live show with that first track. Usually, a lot of times. And I'm hoping for that. But are there plans to play Reptile live right now? Or is it going to be kind of a little bit later in the year? Not right now. Not right definitely, now. Definitely, it's definitely a song that we, we want to play live. Mm-hmm. And, and although it is a lead track on the album, um, it's not going to be a lead track that we release prior to the record. And given that the record is going to be coming out while we're on the tour, I think we're going to stick to uh, whatever material we are going to be releasing prior to the album coming out to play on the tour. Absolutely. No, it totally makes sense. Eventually, though, I'm really hoping, because I'm going to get to see you guys out here. I'm in Vegas. You're going to be at the Brooklyn Bowl out here with them. Oh, awesome. And so, cool. yeah, I'm excited for it. Now, the record is also is produced by ex-bassist Adam Gitgood, and uh, he played bass on the album. Now, how important is um, he maintaining a role in the band for the chemistry on the record? I think it's important for a couple things. I mean, one, you know, he really has such an amazing sound that he was able to develop as a bass player. And it, it definitely is part of our sound for sure. I mean, he, he contributed a huge amount to that aspect of what we do while he was in the band, that it's, it's certainly something that we would never want to go without going forward. I don't think I can't speak for the future a hundred percent, but my gut is that he'll always be involved with the records to some degree. Um, even if it is just hiring him to, to track the bass parts. Um, obviously, we love working with him as a, as a mixer, as a producer as well. So, you know, we've always had a great experience. But look, Nolly's part of the family. Um, you know, he's one of my best friends. We are partners in, uh, in, our, uh, in another company called Get Good Drums, which is named after him. Um, so he's very close <clears throat> to the band, to all of us. We, we see him, you know, throughout every year, even since he's left the band, we spend a lot of good, good quality time with him. Um, and I don't know if he would ever feel right not having him part of the record process. You know, he's just, he's just a, an integral part of the family, whether that affects the chemistry. I don't know because in the past, you know, he was really more involved in the writing as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas this time around, um, and on P3, you know, he wasn't involved in any of the writing aspects of it but we do trust his ear we trust his expertise and obviously the sound that he brings to the table is something that when the guys like like Nisha, Jake and Mark when they're writing they're keeping that bass sound in mind when thinking about the mixes 
as their as the record comes together. So yeah, I mean, in that sense, he's integral for sure. Oh, it makes total sense. And you did mention with you guys' own label, Three Dot Recordings, that um, you, you can create and put out side projects much easier. The guys, Misha and Jake, yep. did four seconds ago. A, a co- their record came out a couple months back. Do you have any side projects currently going on that you are going to be creating for that label? Uh, musically, no. At least not not you know on, on the current horizon. But that's mainly because I'm, I'm pretty busy with the software company with get good drums. That's really my focus outside the band. And to be honest with material like reptile, that really takes up a lot of my bandwidth, uh, as far as creativity and learning and writing and all that stuff. So I'd probably be shooting myself in the foot, adding another musical project at this point on your upcoming tour though, with dance, Gavin dance that we just talked about, you will be teaching a private drum class every single day on that tour. Yep. Um, now, I have a three-year-old son, and uh, you started drumming at three. Uh, I can't remember where I read that, but I read somewhere. But I can't imagine that it's, it's easy to, to teach a three-year-old how to drum. Now, how young do you teach drummers? Yeah, well, so I started pretty young. I don't, I don't recall. If, I don't think I was three. I was probably four or five. Okay. Really, that doesn't make much of a difference. But, well, I guess it kind of does. When you go from three to five, there's quite a, a lot of growth there. I have been teaching for a long time and I have taught younger students, but it's definitely very challenging just because of the attention span. So I typically now work with, um, you know, students anywhere from, I would say, you know, nine or 10 years old and up. Um, it really just depends on the kid. You know, if I've worked with young students that have been obsessed with drums and it's a much different experience working with a student like that, um, than working with a, a student whose parent wants to get them involved in an after-school activity. What was the most difficult student you attempted to teach drums to? There was a there was a student who I worked with for a very long time, and it was more so kind of what I just referenced, which was uh, oh. you know a, a student whose whose parent parents really wanted him to be involved in some sort of activity, you know, that's music based. You know, and, and he was young, so, so I, I can't fault him too much. He was about six or seven when we started working together. And what I will say is this. I mean, it was a great experience because, you know, I was able to actually sort of dovetail the, 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 the drumming lessons into other sort of life lessons that were, you know, that were, that were totally appropriate for his age to learn. We spent, you know, 30 minutes to an hour a day together once a week for you know, a year or two. So we got some really good time in, but I had to sort of barter. Um, I had to, I sort of had to say things like, okay, if you can focus now for 10 to 15 minutes and we'll play this pattern, you know, then we can play hide and seek and, you know, I'll go find you somewhere in the house, or you can show me your new, you know, set of video games or whatever it may be. Um, I found that I would have to barter. Yes. And I was very honest with the, with the parents as well. Like, look, you know, this isn't necessarily going to be where the student uh, goes in the future. I don't think he's going to be a drummer. I don't think it's going to be a long lasting interest. And they just basically said, look, that's totally okay. We get it. We love the fact that, you know, you get to spend time with them, that he's looking up to you, learning from you, has the influence. And it gives us, you know, time to chill after we get home from work for an hour before we have to be parents so you're going to keep coming as long as you want to come so it, it you know 
It was a, it was a challenging experience as a drum instructor, but it was a good experience. You know, I think overall, if that makes sense, I've never really had bad students. And now the way that I teach, you know, I, I typically only teach on tour. I do a little bit of lessons online when I'm home, but, but that's sort of, um, I've ramped that down a bit just because of my availability with time. But on tour, it's great because I'm meeting a lot of people. I do have a lot of customers that come back, or I shouldn't say customers, but I should say students that come back that I've worked with for years now in different cities that I've gotten to know really well. Um, and most of the people who are coming out for those lessons are really dedicated. They really are interested in learning. I charge a fairly, I think it's not cheap, but I do it on purpose. I do it because I want to weed out anyone who's just looking for that quick meet and greet experience. I charge a higher dollar amount for the time together because I want them to take it seriously. And you're going to take it more seriously if you're investing in it. Um, so I very rarely run into bad situations or uncomfortable teaching situations or just annoying situations now because everybody takes it really seriously. Um, so I don't know. I think I think that one experience was probably one of the the, the tougher ones over time. But I got through that too, and I, it was a really valuable learning experience as far as how to gauge the level of interest that a student is showing pretty quickly uh, based off that experience. Now, to flip side on that, have you ever taught someone who you learn things from? Oh yeah, all the time, man. I learn I learn tons from my students. And, and I don't even know if I could pinpoint like what? one in particular because I'm always looking to understand other people's approaches to, to, to things. And the lessons, that, I should say the classes that I teach on tour, are not, they're never one-on-one. I always do group classes. So I could be working with a group of five people. One of them might be you know, very early on beginner. Another may be you know, intermediate. Then you know, three of the other people could be a lot more advanced, but the topics that we discuss and the way that I at least try to frame my responses to questions would apply to the beginner just as much as it would apply to the advanced player. And in that process, a lot of times the advanced players and even sometimes the the beginner players will kind of bounce ideas back and forth within the group and explain their approach to a concept that I might describe um, or, you know, they'll come back to me after they, they go home and practice and we'll say, Hey, just so you know, I, you know, I did that thing you told me and then I applied it this way and, and this really worked. And that's a great kind of feedback loop because I get to hear how other people process the information and the concepts that I'm sharing. And that teaches me a ton, whether that's in how to explain something better, um, a, you know, an actual drumming concept or something that can be applied to the bigger picture. But I learn all the time in my lessons, uh, you know, in, in these classes. It's just, it's, it's a great opportunity for me to sit down with, with other people who share the same interests and passions that I do. And it's a great opportunity for those students to typically meet other people that are just as passionate as them in their hometown that they can continue to interact with and work with and learn from or share information going forward. Because I'm only there on tour for the day. But by connecting the students with, with each other, that gives them a network to expand upon. Uh, and there's nothing better than having other drummers around when, you know, when you're looking to, to, to play and to get better and to learn. It's just, it's awesome to meet people. So 
I know you didn't really ask this question, but that's why I do it on tour in a group setting because my goal is to connect other drummers with one another so that they can continue working together even when I'm gone. I did want to bring up, and we, you did bring it up a little bit, but you are part owner of Get Good Drums. Now, tell us a little bit more about that software company. Sure. Uh, so we started off uh, creating drum samples for ourselves. Uh, it's something that... that both myself, Nolly, Misha, and then our other partner, Dez, we're just looking to create for ourselves, for our own writing purposes. You know, we, we wanted a particular sound and, and we had the tools between the four partners to go into to a studio and, and produce that and create that. So we did it. Um, we ended up getting a pretty good result of that, a good product that we realized that we could potentially offer to other people if they were interested in we set out to do that. And once we put it out there, um, the response was, was fantastic. People love the product. So we've been, you know, kind of at our core creating, uh, drum sample libraries, drum instruments, uh, software drum instruments for people to write music with from day one. And our approach, uh, with every product that we put out is to create tools that can actually sort of help people on their journey of getting better at writing and getting better at their instrument. It is sort of very easy to plug and play with our software. Um, and we do that on purpose because we know that there's a lot of people uh, in our customer base who are just starting out. And we, we've never wanted to make something that is complex or annoyingly complicated to get the hang of. Uh, but at the same time, it's also, it, it has that sort of level of intricacy, I think, under the hood for the experienced producer or songwriter that would be using our software as well. Um, and then just to expand a little bit further, and then once we sort of, you know, I shouldn't say we've nailed the drum thing because we're always evolving and we're always trying to get better. But once we kind of got the hang of it, we started branching off into other areas and into creating actual VSTs. Um, and other production-based software. So recently we just put out a drum compressor, um, and we have a lot of other products in the pipeline that will serve more than just your songwriter looking for great drum sounds to program. Um, we're putting out, putting out a lot of products that will hopefully act as solutions to uh, holes or, or, or problems that we see out there for ourselves and that we are also getting feedback from our customers. So, you know, we're, look, we're, we're all we are our customer base. So we're very much in tune with what's working and what's not, what exists and what doesn't. And our goal is to sort of figure out what we can do better than what's out there in some ways and what doesn't exist that we can then bring to the table as a solution for someone just like ourselves. And, and I, I should say, we very much so on a daily basis use our own software. Um, Misha, who is, you know, arguably one of the most world-renowned drum programmers in the world, uh, you know, basically abandoned any other product that he was previously using once we started creating our own. Um, because again, every spec that we put into it, every, everything that we develop initially is for ourselves. It is for our customers, but we like to think that we, and I, I try to say this in the most, unegotistical way possible but i think that we understand our customers we are in that in that we you know we are our customer base so 
yes, we do take their feedback seriously, but we also want to create things that will solve our own problems as well. Oh, I think that's the best. It's like saying, here's my laptop. This is all the work I did. I think it's, it's, you know, it's people used to keep those as secrets. And now that you share it with the public, I think it's fantastic. And do you feel that at this stage, if you are a new drummer, that it's very important to have software as well? Because that is where music is kind of going to be gauged for live drumming and things like that? I think it's really important for drummers to be open-minded about this kind of software, about drum software in particular, because um, I've found it personally to be such an amazing writing tool. Um, You know, not only have I used it myself, but when we write a periphery record, a lot of times when we first start writing, the guys, and I say the guys as in Jake, Mark, and Misha, will get together uh, separately from myself and Spencer, and they just start writing riffs and coming up with ideas and because Misha is a drummer and he's also as I said like one of the best drum programmers out there when he comes up with these riffs or or rather when the guys are coming up with these riffs together Misha is at the helm of programming some foundational grooves that will sort of um, they'll be able to to show where the feel is headed and, and and basically, you know, explain through the sounds of the drums what what direction the song is taking. He never really programs the drums, you know, to the utmost degree to where it's like, you know, all filled in because he wants me to obviously have that interpretation myself. And I really want to be able to interpret the drums myself. But anyway, long story short, when I hear a demo that the guy's been working on, I'm not just hearing a bunch of riffs to a, uh, a click track. I'm getting a demo that sounds fucking awesome because the drums sound really good and they're programmed well. And it gives me such a better idea of where the song is going and what's possible. And it's so easy for me at the same time to, if I'm in the room with me, sure. If I'm not, I can call them up and say, Hey dude, you know, on reptile on the demo at 13 minutes, and 10 seconds, you do this fill that you programmed. Hey, let's change it to this. And I can like tap it out or beatbox it out for him. And he can change it in 30 seconds. And then we have a new, a new version to show everybody and listen to and get used to. So it's just such an amazing writing tool for drummers to solidify, to try ideas for their parts, and then to actually go and learn their parts later. I didn't get on the drum set with any of this P4 material until after we thoroughly programmed all of the drum parts on the demos. It was only then that I went to the drum set and worked out all of the parts and learned them and made some adjustments before I went into the studio. So it's an integral part of the process. And I think that all drummers, especially in this genre of music where it is, it is more free form and it is more creative and sometimes more intricate, having that as a foundational starting point can really help to, for, to, to help anybody formulate ideas, then take it to the drum set and tweak those ideas and really develop something, for lack of a better word, that they feel is like the perfect part. No, I love it, dude. No, I think, I think that people need to, like I said, technology to me is very important in creating new, having new sounds, having new styles, having things like that that will help things grow into a different direction so it's not on repeat. And these little these little nuances, like the software, it makes people think differently. 
in a lot of ways, you know? I, I guess it makes them think without a limit, if that makes sense. Like, hey, maybe I can try that part. And, and that's something that um, a lot of people didn't have back in the day, if, if I'm fair to say, you know? So I think it's a yeah. fantastic thing. So, Matt, I want, I want to ask you one more question, man. I know I'm a little bit over on time, but um, just real quick, dude, like when, when, when a fellow musician passes away, I remember Chester Bennington passed away. There's a lot of tributes that come out, but you... And Spencer did an amazing one of the track Shadow of the Day. Why did you and Spencer choose that track, just out of curiosity? Uh, so Spencer actually chose that track mm-hmm. um, before I was involved. Uh, and, and I would imagine it's just, I mean, it's a great song. I think he really connected with it in his own way. He obviously sounds like he's passionate about it when he's singing it. Um you know, so I think for him, it was just, it was a song that he really, he really enjoyed. And, you know, I've been a big fan of Linkin Park ever since Hybrid Theory came out. I remember listening to it uh, on my sister's old, really shitty Mac computer um, <laughs> with, you know, with the CD drive and just geeking out on the melodies and this new style that I'd never really just heard that way before, where it was like heavy and it was melodic and it was freaking pristine and just like, it was just a beautiful thing. And every song was good. Then that record um, really just, I don't know. It, it, it was a game changer for me and how I viewed songwriting and, and what, what was possible. So the minute that he called that Spencer called me and said, Hey, I'm doing this cover. Do you want to come play drums on it? It was a no brainer. It was like, absolutely. This band meant so much to me. Uh, Chester Bennington was one of my favorite singers for a very, very long time. I was just super, I was a super fan of that band. I don't know if you know uh, Baltimore at all, where I'm from, but there was a very small venue in Baltimore that's not there anymore called Fletcher's. And it probably held, I don't know, maybe four or 500 people max, I think. Maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, I can't recall. Um, but I saw Lincoln Park there on their very first tour on the Hybrid Theory record. And this was before they really blew up. I watched this band play in a room with like a few hundred other people. I moshed to their stuff. And that's just an awesome experience to have with a band like that, that ended up becoming so monumental and so inspirational for a lot of people. So yeah, just, just when Spencer called me, it was like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm a true fan. I'm down. Let's do this. So it, it meant a lot to be able to do that. And I think it turned out great. Yeah, it was fantastic. And if people haven't heard it, make sure you look it up. It's Shadow of the Day. Like I said, Spencer and, and Matt play on it. It's uh, a great tribute. I, I remember when I listened to it, it got me. So I uh, I just really thought the song selection, I'm like, I'm so glad you guys chose a, a song that I don't think a lot of people were familiar with, but it just worked out really, really well. So with that, Matt, I got to tell everybody one more time, Periphery for Hail Stan, Stan Roble, Stan March, Stan Lee, whoever you want it to be. Okay, is out April 5th, guys. It is a phenomenal record. You guys knocked it out of the park. It's so diverse. To me, it's it's heavier than anything you guys have done in a little while. I love it. I'm so happy I get to promote it, and I hope everybody out there picks up that copy on April 5th. And make sure you guys look for tour dates for them with Dance, Gavin, Dance, which will be starting around that same time. And if you're, you're in your classes, if people want to join those classes in those cities, do they just uh, DM you, or how does that work? Yeah, the easiest thing to do is just on on any of my socials, just shoot me a DM and let me know. Um, on Instagram, I'm Matt Periphery. Uh, and on Facebook, I'm just facebook.com slash Matt Periphery. And I do all my bookings there. So I'm on top of it every day. 
I always check and make sure that if any inquiries come in, I don't miss them. So, yeah, if anybody's interested, just give me a shout, and we'll, we'll get you worked in. And also check out Get Good Drums, guys, especially for you drummers out there. The software is, like I said, it's top-notch. It's what Misha uses. So with that, Matt, I want to thank you so much, dude, for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it.
the Metal Sucks Podcast. Guys, and we are back, and we're going to close the show a little smoother, I think. Is that fair? Okay. okay. How? Please tell me. Well, let me tell you the songs you heard. First of all, the awesome music. <laughs> <laughs> first of all. First of all. Of I thought you were going to do it a little smoother. Uh, I thought you were awfully, awfully confident over there. First song off the new record by Periphery, guys. That song is called Blood Eagle. Their new album, Periphery 4, Hail Stan, is out April 5th. It's amazing. Make sure you guys are picking that up. Next song you heard is the latest from Fallujah. 
That track is called Ultraviolet, and their new album, Undying Light, will be out March 15th. And with that, guys, I just want to thank everybody for the five-star reviews on iTunes that we keep seeing popping up. It really means the world to us, dude. That, that little click that you do, it, it makes us keep making bits about Aldo, the semen smelling puck. Exactly. You know, I mean, honestly, where else would that's you... what make that's what gets we don't ask for money. You know, we ask for one click. Your five star review provides us with the strength needed to give you things like comebags and <laughs> Aldo, the semen smelling dog. Um, that's what your yeah, that's what your donation does for us. Do you know where you keep the things that Aldo finds huh. in your comeback? The Metal Sucks podcast <laughs> is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.